in the book of Amos. And like I told you last week, if you miss a week, you're going to miss a book, okay? Uh, last week, we finished the book of Joel. One week, boom. Uh, so if you missed it, you can always, you know, watch the previous uh, episodes or the previous uh, books. Tonight, we get to start a new book, the book of Amos. Uh, by the way, how many of you, just by a show of hands, and, and it's okay to raise your hand or not raise your hand, totally fine, okay? There's no right or wrong answer. How many of you have ever heard a sermon on the book of Amos? Less. One? Well, yes, okay, not, not just one line, okay? <laughs> but on the book of Amos, have you ever had a sermon on the book of Amos? This is the privilege that we have, especially on Wednesday nights, going through the Bible, right? We get to hit literally every single book, every single verse, every single word in the book of the Bible. And so tonight we are starting this fresh book. There's only nine chapters, so we will take probably a couple of weeks at least, uh, maybe even three weeks on the book of Amos. Amos is... Like I tell you every single week, uh, this is my favorite book in the Bible because uh, it's the book that we're studying right now. Uh, Amos is the most, if you love sarcasm, Amos is the most sarcastic book in the entire Bible. It is just literally dripping uh, uh, with sarcasm. Uh, it, Amos, in tongue-in-cheek way, literally tears apart the northern kingdom of Israel for their uh, sins for their prosperity, for how they treat the Lord, the one that chose them out of all the other nations on the planet. And it starts with this amazing phrase at the beginning and also throughout the book, the lion is roaring. The lion is roaring. Look at what it says there in the first two verses. The words of Amos, who was among the shepherders of Tekoa, which he beheld in visions concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. And he said, Yahweh roars from Zion. And from Jerusalem, he gives forth his voice, and the shepherds' pastures, grounds mourn, and the top of Carmel dries up. And so, Father, as we approach this amazing book in the Bible, this uh, book that in you know many people's Bibles is, is that sticky part or the part that we haven't even opened yet, unless just to check off a box or something in a schedule, Lord, please forgive us as we approach this amazing uh, prophet, this amazing person who, who uh, literally bears his soul to the Israelite, prophesies the word of God in that loud voice of his as he's, he's showing that God is roaring. No, no longer the, the lamb that is coming in, in peace, but, but the lion of Judah that's coming with judgment because of their sins, because of the rejection of the one that loved them first. And so, Lord, help us to get a glimpse into this book. Help us to see you. 
speak power through this book tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amos is, is every single one of the minor prophets and also the major prophets. Their, their names mean something. Last week, we, we learned about Joel, right? Uh, what does Joel mean? It, it, it literally is the, the name of God and the title of God, right? Uh, Yahweh is Elohim, right? Uh, Yahweh, the name of God, and Elohim, the title of God and, and who he is. And, and Amos is very similar. Uh, Amos means burden. Okay. Amos means burden. We'll, we'll see that word actually used many, many times in the Minor Prophets, but especially in the book of Amos. His name means something, okay? Have you ever had a, you know, a pricking from the Holy Spirit? You're driving down the road, maybe it's the 58 or the 99 or, or some street in Bakersfield or on your travels, and, and you see someone by the side of the road. They, they have a, uh, you know, a flat or, or maybe they're in need of something or, or someone comes to you and asks you and the Holy Spirit tells you to do something and you ignore it. What does that feel like? You ignore him, I should say. And, and, and what does that feel like when you ignore the Holy Spirit's prompting? It feels like this weight. Literally, th this burden that God has placed upon you to meet. This is the burden of the Lord. The prophets were always given a burden. In fact, uh, you know, I, I just want to read to you just a couple of the minor prophets. Nahum 1.1. Uh, Look at what it says. Uh, the oracle of uh, Nineveh, or the burden of of Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum, the Elkoshite, or, or Habakkuk, the oracle which Habakkuk, the prophet, beheld. Every single time you see this word oracle in the LSB or in the New King James Version, it means burden. A burden has been placed on the prophet's shoulders. What's the only way to relieve that burden? What's the only way to relieve that burden? Do what the Holy Spirit tells you to do. And now the burden is on them. Now the burden has been taken away. What, what do you feel like or what do you understand in your own heart when you actually obey the Holy Spirit's prompting? What happens to your heart? Feels good, right? That burden's been taken off of you. And it's the same thing with any of the prophets. Amos was a a contemporary of, uh, as we read in the book of Hosea, a contemporary of Hosea and also of Isaiah as well. So Isaiah and Hosea and Amos were all writing at the same exact time, okay? But Hosea and Amos were to the northern kingdom of Israel. In fact, these are the only two minor prophets that are to the northern kingdom. After Amos writes, the northern kingdom of Israel is going to be wiped off the planet, literally scattered by the Assyrian army in 722 BC. Now God's going to come in with the Assyrians and take them away, as we're going to see in great detail in the book of Amos. During this time, when Amos 
is speaking to the people of Israel. There is a time of prosperity in the northern kingdom of Israel. Look at the two kings that are in charge. In the southern kingdom, we have Uzziah. This is the same guy that we see in Isaiah chapter 6. When Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Uzziah, the guy with the spot right in the middle of his forehead. Remember that guy? Remember, he, he was the one that wanted to be the priest. He, he, he was the one that said, oh, I'm king. God's blessed me. I've been one of the longest reigning kings in the entire kingdom. I just want to worship God by coming into the temple and sacrificing to God. I want to burn incense. And what did those prophets have to do to their beloved king? I had to tell him, you need to leave right now because guess what? There's something right in the middle of your forehead. And for the rest of his life, he was leprous. The leper king, right? Actually, you can hear that sermon way back. We, we did that a long time ago in Isaiah chapter uh, 6. I love that, that section. But the northern king, the one that we're going to be addressing tonight, is Jeroboam II. Jeroboam II was not the son of Jeroboam, the first king of the northern kingdom of Israel. He was like the great, 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 great grandson of Jeroboam. He just liked the name, or his parents liked the name, Jeroboam. They named him after the first king of the northern kingdom of Israel, Jeroboam II. And during his reign, they actually expanded their borders. They were a prosperous nation. They had repelled the Assyrians, not because of their own strength, but because the Assyrians had been busy with other uh, problems in their own empire uh, because of other things that were going on. During this time, they enjoyed a indolent, indulgent uh, lifestyle. We're going to see how Amos loves making fun of this. A Amos was totally anti-prosperity gospel, 100%. Okay? Also, their religion flourished as well, but not to Yahweh, not to the God, the real God, the God of the universe, but to the Baals and the Ashtoreths and even the Molech, the ones that they would literally sacrifice their children to. Uh, during this time, uh, people literally thronged to the shrines for the yearly festivals, remember Jeroboam the first was the one that made those golden calves, one up in the north in Dan, one in Bethel, and said, these are your gods. These are the ones that brought you out of Egypt. These are the ones that you should worship. You don't have to go down to Jerusalem and worship God of uh, Judah or God, the real God, Yahweh. No, these are your gods. And they made a big deal of this. Amos also tells us the exact time when it's written. Do you see that in the first verse there? Two years before the earthquake. To the year we have the date. There was a gigantic earthquake, not only that was felt in the northern kingdom of Israel, but also in Judah, the surrounding nations, Moab, Ammon, and Edom as well. There was this massive earthquake that we know for sure uh, happened in 760 B.C. Now, archaeological proof that it happened 
during this year, written proof that it happened during this year. So two years before, and of course this is BC, so whenever we go BC, we always add uh, numbers to it. It's actually 762 BC when this book is written. We also have the time of the king, Jeroboam, as well. So not only do we know uh, what the lifestyle of the Israelites was at this time, we know the exact year when this was uh, written as well. Amos, like I told you, was the most satirical uh, book in the entire uh, Bible. It was possibly around this time that God gave his message, and it's a message of judgment. The theme is the lion. God is a roaring lion. He, he's not a lamb that is about to be slain or a, a lamb that is gentle and kind or, or some old man in the sky uh, that is showing his grace and mercy. No, that has already happened. And God is coming now as a judge. It also tells us the occupation of Amos as well. Not, not as in detail as we saw with Hosea, uh, but we find out his occupation. What did he do for a living? He wasn't a prophet for a living. He probably didn't even get paid. What, what was he? Yeah, a sheep breeder. Yeah, he knew how to make sheep multiply and do it well, okay? He, he figured out a way, and you know, this was, of course, going all the way back to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They were known for their shepherding skills. Even in Egypt, when they came to Egypt, remember, they were given the land of Goshen because they were shepherders, right? They, they knew how to shepherd. And so they were given a special piece of land all the way back in the time of, of Egypt as well. So he knew how to breed sheep and make them multiply as a business. He also, as we're going to find out later on in the book toward the end, that he grew sycamore figs. Uh, the, these figs that were very, very hardy, if you will, they, they could be sweet if you uh, raised them the right way. But, but if they just grew up in the wild, they, they weren't sweet, okay? So it took a special person that knew how to raise sycamore figs in order to produce the right kind of uh, fruit. We'll talk about that uh, next week. So we see here in verse 2, and I love this, by the way. I love the way that Amos starts, Yahweh roars from Zion. We've been using the uh, Legacy Standard Bible as we've been going through the Minor Prophets. This is the first time we've been going through the Legacy Standard Bible. Normally, we either use the the, the New King James Version or the, the NLV, the, the New Living uh, Translation. But in the Minor Prophets, the name of God is very, very important. And so the great thing about the Legacy Standard Bible is it, it brings out that name. So every time we see a capital L or a capital O, a capital R, capital D in uh, the Bible, in the New King James or another translation, it literally means Yahweh, the name of God. The Legacy Standard Bible brings that out. Have you ever heard a lion roar? 
that that pales that pales in significance to when God speaks. That that that's just a little kitten going meow when God roars, right? Uh, and again, I've never heard a real lion roar. You know, just like most of us, but but you you hear it on you know maybe a a movie or a show or something like that, a, a nature show, and 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 what happens to every single animal on the savanna when the lion roars? They run, or at least they prick up their ears and they're about ready to run. Right? The the lion roars, and everybody knows that they're food. Their prey. Except for who? I, I've used this illustration. You guys know all the answers. I know you know this answer. Except for who? The cubs. What's the cub doing? Chewing on the ear. Playing with the tail. Bouncing on their dad's back. Right? Same roar. Different response. Why? Because they're the son of the king. They're the son of the lion, right? They they know that they're going to get a piece of the bone, right? They're going to get a little piece of that prey. The, the, the son has special privileges, right? Pay attention to that. We're going to see that throughout the book of Amos, by the way. The majority of the book of Amos is addressed to the northern kingdom of Israel, but the first two chapters are addressed to the surrounding nations, okay? Verse 3, thus says Yahweh, for three transgressions of Damascus, and for four I will not turn back its punishment, because they threshed Gilead with implements of sharp iron, so I will send fire upon the house of Hazael, and it will consume the citadels of Ben-Hadad. I will also break the gate bar of Damascus and cut off the inhabitant from the valley of Avon and him who holds the scepter from Beth Eden. So the people of Aram will go into exile to Kerr, says Yahweh. This phrase, three transgressions, and of four is going to be used eight times. Eight times in these two chapters. In fact, I have a map here for you guys. We'll use this map kind of. Hopefully you can see all the numbers. The, this is numbered according to the various uh, uh, sit or states or nations that are addressed. The very first one there is in, in the north. That's Damascus. The capital of Syria. Uh, the capital of modern-day Syria, even today. And also the capital of Syria at the time when this was uh, written. Every single one of these nations that we're going to be addressing are all surrounding nations to Israel and Judah. This phrase that means three transgressions and of four is repeated, and it shows the perfect judgment of God. You're only going to see one sin listed, and it's the most grievous of all the sins. In fact, what is the sin that God has against Damascus? They, they, as it says here, threshed 
Gilead with implements of sharp iron. Have you ever seen a plow? In olden days, you know, plows would be pulled by animals, of course, normally either mules or, or oxen or, or something like that. And, and it wasn't like, the, you know, the, the plows that we have today. Imagine a huge tractor that just has all these discs in the back of it. You've probably seen it maybe up in Tulare or, or you know, along the 99. There, there's a big agricultural area, and, and sometimes you see massive tractors with these big, huge implements behind them. And what are they made to do? They're made to tear up the ground. These discs, the, these prongs that are in the back. And, and you have to imagine this because what would happen when uh, uh, Damascus or Syria would take over a country, they would literally lay down uh, people and they had these huge, massive pieces of wood that had sharp implements on the bottom of it and they would just literally rake over the people. It was horrific. By, by the way, this is the least graphic too. We're going to see graphic violence that not only will happen to every single one of these nations, but also when the Assyrians come in as well. The Assyrians were the cruelest of the nations, by the way. And so when Syria would come through, they would rake down people. As it, as it says here, they threshed Gilead with implements of iron. Gilead was a... Uh, an ally to the nation of Israel. You can read about them in the book of Joshua. Joshua is the one that signed the treaty uh, with them. The, the next area is number two here, and you can kind of see it. It's on the, I guess it would be on the left to you guys. This is the Gaza Strip. Modern day Gaza Strip. Still called Gaza even to this day. Look what it says there in verse 6. Thus says Yahweh for three transgressions of Gaza and for four. I will not turn back its punishment because they took away into exile the whole community of exiles to deliver it up to uh, Edom. So I will send fire upon the wall of Gaza and it will consume her citadels. And I will also cut off the inhabitant of Ashdod and him who holds the scepter in Ashkelon. And I will even turn my hand against Ekron and the remnants of the Philistines will perish, says Lord uh, Yahweh. By the way, in every single one of these paragraphs, not only do we see uh, the for three and then for four, but also at the beginning and the end, we always see the signatures of Yahweh's name. God signs it at the beginning, he says it, and then in all but two, he signs it as well at the end. His name is at the beginning, the authority of who he is speaking, and then the signature at the end of the paragraph as well. Yahweh says this, it will happen. You guys remember the Philistines, right? It was, you know, Goliath, he was a Philistine. Philistines were the guys that were always in the, the thorn in the side. For the Israelites, they, they lived along that narrow strip of land on the, the it would be the western seashore of uh, Judah and Israel. They had five capitals. They had five capitals. And, and we see four of them uh, here. We see Gaza, uh, Ashdod, Ashkelon, and Ekron. 
all, all these capitals that they had, they did it strategically. They didn't have just one. They had multiple kings as well on purpose because if one of them fell or a certain uh, major city fell, the other four could still be in play. The Philistines were a not only a sea-roaming uh, uh, nation, but they also would make raids into Israelite territory. Remember in the book of Judges? All throughout the book of Judges, you see the Philistines. That they're the ones that came in and stole things from the Israelite. Continuing on there in verse 9, thus says Yahweh, again, the, the signed name of God for three transgressions of Tyre and for four, I will not turn back its punishment because they delivered up the whole community of exiles to Edom and did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. So I will send fire upon the wall of Tyre and it will consume her uh, citadels. Remember when we were in the book of Ezekiel, we saw Tyre, a whole chapter dedicated just to Tyre. And it's too much to go into it right now. You can always uh, go back and, and listen to it. But in Ezekiel chapter 26, we, we learn that this is a uh, city island or a, a nation island or an island that is made up of a, a merchant territory. Every single thing that would have to come into Israelite territory or into Syria or anywhere in the Middle Eastern region that was coming from the Mediterranean Ocean would dock at Tyre. And so they grew rich because of this trade. But unfortunately, they too were uh, cruel. In fact, they were cruel to the Edomites. In fact, we'll talk about them in the very next uh, paragraph. Do you guys remember who the Edomites were? I know you know this. Yeah, Esau, the descendants of Esau, the twin brother of uh, Jacob, the, the one who is the father of the Israelites. Later on, his name is turned into Israel, right? And so the twin uh, brother, the Edomites, the ones that were, you know, the red guys, you know, the ones that were known for their, their red uh, hair, their, their uh, prowess, their courage, their ability to hunt. Uh, these were the people that this is referring to. In fact, in verse 11, uh, we see the Edomite for three transgressions of Edom and for four. I will not turn back its punishment because he pursued his brother with the sword. While he corrupted his compassion and his anger also tore continually and he kept his wrath forever. So I will send fire upon Timon and I will consume the citadel of Basra. In fact, in every single one of these sections, we've seen citadel, citadel. Citadel. You know what a citadel is? It's like a big, massive fort. Okay, it, it's a it's a fortress. It, it's this area that's meant to be protected by this big, huge, massive building. So in case an enemy comes, everybody can go into the citadel. Right? They're they're protected. Right? But what's going to happen to the citadel? This the citadels as we see here of Gaza, the citadel of Tyre, the citadel of Edom. What's going to happen to all of them? Destroyed. God's coming. Who's roaring, by the way? God is. 
Look at how it describes the relationship between brothers. I bet you never had it this bad with your brothers. What, what, what did they want to do with Jacob? What did they want to do with Israel? Kill him. Kill him. Even, even from all the way back to the very beginning, right? They were, they were fighting the whole time. And they were twins, by the way. They're twins sharing the same womb, right? And what does Esau want to do with Jacob? Of course, Jacob, you know, he, you know, he instigated a lot of it, most of it, all of it, probably. But, but what did Esau want to do with his twin brother? He wanted to kill him. In fact, even the descendants, the Edomites, wanted to erase the Israelites off the planet as well. Verse 13. By the way, all these are relative. The, the, this next section, in fact, starting here in the Edomites all the way through, these are all relatives of Israel. Okay, all relatives of Israel. Thus says Yahweh, the signature for three transgressions of the son of Ammon, and for four I will not turn back its punishment because they ripped open the pregnant women of Gilead in order to enlarge their borders. Is that graphic? So I will kindle a fire on the wall of Ravah, and it will consume her citadels amidst a loud shout on the day of battle and a storm in the day of tempest, and their king will go into exile. He and his princes together, says Yahweh. The, the, the signing of the name at the beginning and the end. You guys remember who the Amon was, right? You guys remember? See, these were the, the son and at the same exact time, grandson of Lot. You guys remember what happened with Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah? You guys know that, right? The story? Everybody knows that story. You know, God sends down fire. Sodom and Gomorrah are completely demolished. What did Lot's wife do? She turns into a pillar of salt. Lot has two daughters. They're in a cave with their dad. They get their dad drunk, thinking, oh, there's no one else in the entire world. Our, our nation, our cities have just been destroyed. And so what do they do? They get their dad drunk. And the Bible is very graphic. You can read this at the end of the book of Genesis, by the way. And, and literally tempt their dad. He sleeps with both of them and out comes not only his sons, but his grandsons at the same exact time. Amon and Moab, through the daughters of Lot. And by the way, these are also the cousins of Jacob, too, because Lot was a nephew of, you know, Abraham. So we see here Amon, and then in the next section we see Moab, but look at what the judgment is against Amon. Why is God roaring against Amon? Why? How horrible is that? I don't want to repeat it again. How horrible is that, what they did to pregnant women? Just, just absolutely horrendous. By the way, there's nothing new under the sun, too, by the way. Chapter 2, verse 1. This is the brother of Amon. The, the son slash grandson of Lot, it says there, 
Thus says Yahweh, the name of God for three transgressions of Moab, and for four I will not turn back its punishment, because he burned the bones of the king of Edom to lime. So I will send fire upon Moab. It will consume the citadels of Kariath, and Moab will die amid great rumbling, amid a loud shout and the sound of a trumpet. I will also cut off the judge from her midst and kill all her princes with her, says Yahweh. By, by the way, the same thing is going to happen to both nations, Ammon and Moab. And, and you may be asking, well, there's a nation right now called Ammon. E even today, you can go to Ammon, right? E you can go to Jordan, and it has the city that's called Ammon, okay, as its capital even. As we see here, what's going to happen to that line? Completely demolished, completely destroyed. And even though there's a memory of those people, the line has been destroyed. Now it's called Jordan, uh, the nation of Jordan, which is to the east of, in the same territory, by the way, of Ammon and Moab, the nation of Jordan. Verse 4, now we get personal. And this is only two verses, but it's to the southern kingdom of Judah. And remember, at this time, there's a divided kingdom. There is a king in the north, Jeroboam II. There's a king in the south, Uzziah. Uzziah reigns over Judah in Jerusalem. And Jeroboam II reigns over the northern kingdom of Israel, the ten tribes of Israel in the north, in the town or in the city of Samaria. Look at what it says there about Judah. Verse 4, thus says Yahweh for three transgressions of Judah. And for four, I will not turn back its punishment. And by, by the way, all these sins, and we've seen graphic sins, we've seen very violent sins, right? Look at the sin that Judah has. Because they've rejected the law of Yahweh. And have not kept his statutes. Their falsehood also has led them astray. That which their fathers walked. After. What, what, what is this sin that God has against Judah? We may, we may look at this and say, well, that, that's not as bad as, you know, pregnant ladies being, you know, torn open. Or, or implements of iron raking down thousands of people. That, that doesn't sound as bad, right? But who was the law of God given to? The only nation on the planet that the law of God was given to, Israel, Judah, Jerusalem. This is who the law of God was given to, not only to bless them, but to be a blessing to the nations as well. God had given them the law. Out of all the nations on the planet, God chose Israel. God chose Judah and through the line of David, all those kings to not only be a representative for the law, but to stand up for the law. And what have they done to the law of God? Rejected it. Turned their back on the law of God. What's going to be the punishment to Judah? 
verse 5, it tells us, I will send fire upon Judah and will consume the citadels of Jerusalem. By the way, this will happen in 586 B.C., approximately 200 years in the future. There's going to be good kings that come. God's going to uh, not only um, bless them again, but also cause revival in the land. Thank God for that. But then the very last one is Israel, and the rest of the book is now going to address the northern kingdom of Israel. Israel, capital Samaria, Jeroboam II, the king at this time, prosperity is, is reigning in the land. The people are, are literally living in mansions. People have ivory couches and all these, these, these flocks and these fields. In fact, you know, Amos raising these flocks in order to be bred, in order to be sold to these uh, rich people. Unfortunately, they're using their riches for their own gain. It's not that God is against their riches in any way, but while they're using it is uh, the problem. In fact, there in verse 6 of chapter 2, we read... Uh, this last of the three of four, thus says Yahweh, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not turn back its punishment because they sell the righteous for money and the needy for a pair of sandals. What, what are the Israelites doing? They're buying and selling people. Slavery. And, and not just, you know, other people, other nations, but even their own people. This was forbidden by God. He, all the way back, even in the book of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, slavery was always forbidden, especially amongst uh, their own people. They were allowed to be servants, but they were never allowed to be bought and sold for their bodies or, or for their, you know, slavery. They always had a way of being able to work out of their debt. But these slaves, as we see here, they're being bought and sold, the righteous for money and the needy for a pair of sandals. How valuable is a human life? What is it worth? pair of sandals. That's it. pair of sandals selling a human being. Is that, and this is the people of God. This is Israelite. This is now the culmination of all these judgments, these threes and fours. The culmination is the Israelite selling their own people for wealth. How, how degrading is that to a human life? It says there in verse 7, these who pant after the very dust of the earth on the head of the poor also turn aside the way of the humble. And a man and his father go to the same young woman in order to profane my holy name. How graphic is that? It's horrible. Prostitution running rampant. Fathers and sons sharing the same woman. 
On garments taken as pledges, they stretch out beside every altar, and on the house of their God, they drink the wine of those who have been fined. All those those things that they get from the poor and the needy, all, all those down payments for you know these loans that they've extorted from their own people, what are they doing? They're using them in their worship for false gods. They're, they're using them in worship before those calves that are golden. They, they're using them before the balls and the, the Asherahs and the Molech. They're worshiping other gods, foreign gods, with the things that they've extorted from their own people's lives. How degrading is that? What is the life worth? I hope you can see the, you know, Amos is very, very descriptive. You You can really see it in your mind's eye, can't you? Verse 9, yet it was I who destroyed the Amorite before them. Though his height was like the height of cedars, and he was strong as the oaks, I even destroyed his fruit above and his root below. And it was I who brought you from the land of Egypt, and I led you in the wilderness for 40 years, that you might take possession of the land of the Amorite. Then I, then I raised up some of your sons to be prophets, and, and some of your choice men to be Nazarites. Is this not so, O sons of Israel, declares Yahweh, I've been protecting you this whole time. I've been providing for you this whole time. You don't have to sin to gain wealth. You don't have to take other people's lives in order to gain something for yourself. I want to bless you. Just obey me. I protected you all the way back to the land of Egypt. What have they done with the law of God? Rejected it. What have they done with their fellow brother? They've rejected them. It has these two titles, and we're going to see this uh, more in the very next verse, the prophets and the Nazarite. You've probably heard this word Nazarite before. It's used several times in the Bible. There was a guy by the name of Samson who was dedicated, uh, even from a baby, to be a Nazarite. Okay, remember that? What, what, what was it that set Samson apart? You guys all know it. Couldn't cut their hair. That was the vow of a Nazarite. But they also had to take another vow as well. And, well, not just not to drink, okay? They couldn't have anything from the vine. The Bible's very specific about this. It says they couldn't have grape. They couldn't even have raisins. They couldn't have grape juice, and they couldn't have wine. Anything from the vine they were not allowed to have. They weren't even allowed to touch it, okay? And they also weren't allowed to touch dead things as well. Samson, of course, breaks all those things, you know. But God is always faithful. There's also other Nazarites in the Bible. Samuel was a Nazarite from a birth. Uh, John the Baptist, most people think, was also a Nazarite from a birth. Paul takes a Nazaritic vow. It's not for life, but it's for a certain period of time. We find out that his hair was cut after the Nazaritic vow came uh, to uh, fruition. That was set for a certain amount of time, and he cut his hair after that. Uh, and so sometimes it was a you know a lifelong vow, and sometimes it was for a set period of time. Look at what it says in verse 12, how they mock, mock the prophets and the Nazarites. 
What do they do? But you made the Nazarites drink wine. What, what are they doing to the Nazaritic vow? Making fun of it. The, these, these people that have taken the solemn oath, they're, they're causing them to fall in their own uh, promises. Or you command the prophet saying, you shall not prophesy. We don't want to have anything to do with your prophecies. And by the way, Amos is one of those guys. Remember, his name means burden. He has to prophesy. This is who he is in his very being. God has called him to prophesy. Amos is the most sarcastic of all the books in the Bible. That's the third time I've told you. We get to see it before we leave tonight. There is so much tongue in cheek, not only in the English, thank God, but also in the Hebrew as well, even, even greater than the, the English. And literally saying the opposite in order to evoke some sort of response. Have you ever tried to talk to someone, like reason with someone, and it was totally impossible, totally impossible, uh, until you said something sarcastic? or had to do something that was the opposite of what was expected. This is what Amos does, by the way, in the next four verses, in verses 13 through 16. I'm just going to read it all, but we'll talk about it. Behold, I'm weighted down beneath you. This is God speaking as a rag and is weighed down with filled with sheaves. So flight will perish from the swift and the strong will not instill his power with courage, nor will the mighty man make his life escape. He who grasps the bow will not stand his ground. The swift of foot will not escape, nor will he who rides the horse make his life escape. Even the most courageous of heart among the mighty men will flee naked on that day. You see the picture. This, 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 this would be comical if it wasn't so serious. Do you see the picture? What is happening to the army? They're turning tail and run, literally. With their pants down. Running. These so-called mighty men. What are they doing? Running stark naked. Did, did you see the hilarity of the situation? But Amos is having to get this point across. What happens when you reject God? What happens when you reject God? You're exposed. With your pants down. This picture, hopefully, it's seared into your mind, uh, and it kind of erases all the previous things. I know it was very graphic, early, very violent earlier, and Amos is bringing out the hilarity of the vend, even though it's serious. What kind of protection do you have if you're running naked on a battlefield? I mean, anything can hurt you then. You could step on a stone, right? You could trip and fall and get hurt. Right? And so, but by the way, the sarcasm gets even drippier. I, I love it. 
Look at what it says in chapter 3, verse 1. Hear this word which Yahweh has spoken against you, sons of Israel, against the entire family which he brought up from the land of Egypt, saying that these northern kingdom of Israel, this is the focus now. You only have I known among all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. That, that lion, he, he won't uh, kill the cub, but is the cub sometimes have to be disciplined. Maybe that, that swat, right? The lion does discipline his children. In fact, any loving father disciplines their children. Do two men walk together unless they've made an appointment? That's the verse you probably read before. Okay. That's the verse you probably, and by the way, that's also a, a proverb as well. In fact, every single one of these questions in, in your Bibles, I bet every single one of these is, is a single line with a question mark at the end. It's a, a grouped together. Every single one of these is a rhetorical question, okay? There is an obvious answer, okay? Everyone should get it correct, okay? Can, can two men go in the same direction unless they have the same goal in mind. You, you may walk part of the way, but then eventually you're going to have to split unless you are walking toward the same destination, right? That's, that's exactly what he's saying here. Or does a lion roar in the forest when it has no prey? Unless it's, it's going after a lion. Normally, what does the lion do? It's silent. It's sneaking up on its prey. Or does a young lion give forth its voice from its den unless it has captured something, that roar of victory, right? Or does a bird fall into a trap on the ground when there is no bait in it? Birds are pretty smart. They're not going to come into a trap unless there's food there. Same thing with a lure, right? You know, unless you put the right bait on the end of that fish hook, fish are smart. They're not just going to bite a hook, right? Same thing with the birds. Or does a trap spring from the earth when it captures nothing at all unless you build it really bad or something like that? But normally a trap won't spring. It's not designed to spring unless something steps in it, right? If a trumpet is blown in a city, will not the people tremble? If a calamity happens in a city, has not Yahweh done it? Thank God for that. Surely, Lord Yahweh does nothing unless he reveals his secret counsel to his slave, the prophet. This word slave here literally means bondservant. You know what a bond servant is? It, it's a very specific term. It's not just, you know, someone that is bought and sold. It's someone that has literally given their life to a family. You see, a, a person could be sold into servitude, and, and after a certain number of years, normally it was seven years, or at the most would be 50 years, they always had to be forgiven. Uh, but but there was a certain time period they could work off their debt, okay? And, and there was, they knew that there was a time when they would be free. There was always 
hope in the mind of a servant in Israel. Always, always. But at the end of that servitude, they had a chance. You can stay with the family or you can leave. It's called a bond servant. It, it, the, the picture is absolutely amazing. And there was always the sign of a bond servant. The right year. Because when a, a servant decided, I, 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 I love this family so much. I've given up my life for this family. I've, I've paid my debt and I can go free, but I've decided to stay with this family. They would take an awl. You know what an awl is? It's a sharp metal implement. They would put the, uh, the earlobe, the right earlobe on the doorpost of the house. And they would pierce that earlobe with that awl. The picture is over, by the way, the picture is amazing, okay? Especially when you think of the New Testament. And so the sign was the pierced ear through that, that awl that was put into the very doorpost of the house of the now place that they would live and serve in for the rest of their life. Voluntarily, by the way. This wasn't, it could never be coerced. It could never be forced. It was always a volunteer position. By the way, when Paul calls himself a bondservant, this is where he's referring to. It's a voluntary service to the God of the universe. Look at what Amos is calling himself, by the way. What, what, what is Amos saying here? The prophets are the slaves of God. They, they've surrendered their lives to God. And by the way, every time you would walk through the doorpost of the house or the door of the house, what would you see? Indentation, maybe even a little piece. I don't know. But you would see the indentation of the promise. And, and it, it's even better when you go back to the Passover because, you know, they put the blood on the doorposts. Right? The piercing, it's, it's all symbolic of what Jesus is going to do for us. Coming to this earth as a servant to give his life as a ransom for many, by the way. And then that amazing phrase, you probably heard this one too. Verse 8, a lion has roared. You, you have to say it loud. You have, to, you have to say this loud. A lion has roared. A lion has roared do you hear it the lion has roared who will not fear lord yahweh has spoken who can but prophesy when you're a servant of the king what must you do you have to obey you have to obey it's that burden that's been given to the prophets to obey and can only be released unless they give it to those that they're prophesying to. And then it's their burden. Then it's their responsibility, and it's no longer upon the prophet's shoulders. Judgment is no longer upon the prophet. It's upon the people that he speaks to. Verse 9. Make it heard in the citadels of Ashdod and on the citadels of the land of Egypt and say, gather yourselves on the mountains of Samaria, the capital city of the northern kingdom of Israel. Okay? And see the great confusions within her and the oppressions in her midst. 
but they do not know how to do what is right, declares Yahweh. Those who hoard up violence and devastation in their citadels. Is this what citadels are for, by the way? What, what is a citadel for? What, what is a fortress for? Defense, protection, right? That's what it's for. And what have they turned their citadels into? Violence and destruction. Now, the, the people on the inside are being destroyed. The people on the inside are being hurt. Is that what a citadel is for? Verse 11, therefore thus says the Lord Yahweh, an adversary, even one surrounding the land, will pull down your strength from you, and your citadels will be plundered. Thus says Yahweh. Just as the shepherd delivers from the lion's mouth a couple of legs or a piece of an ear, so will the sons of Israel inhabiting Samaria will be delivered. <laughs> Do you get this picture? The lion or the wolf has taken your lamb, and what do you get back in return? The leg or a piece of an ear. It's funny if it wasn't so serious. I mean, if you're the, if you're the shepherd, how devastating is that? Or, or, what does it say? So will the sons of Israel inhabiting Samaria be delivered with the corner of a bed and the cover of a couch? They have all this wealth, all these, these nice, nice things, and, and what are they going to get? They're just going to maybe get a, you know, a part of a bed or a part of a sheet. That's it. That's all they're going to be able to rescue. Is that a good return? Just literally dripping sarcasm here, the, the way that Amos is, is describing these events. Hear and testify against the house of Jacob, declares Lord Yahweh, the God of hosts, for on that day I will punish Israel's transgressions. I will also punish the altars of Bethel. We've talked about this word many, many times. Bethel, Beth, house, El, Elohim, house of God. And they've turned it into a place of idolatry. And as Hosea says, a place of adultery as well. What are you supposed to do in the house of God? Worship God. I mean, that's obvious, right? What are they doing instead? Oh, yes, but also partying and, as it says in the very next phrase, the horns of the altar will be cut in pieces. They will fall to the ground. I will also strike the winter house together with the summer house. The houses of ivory will also perish. All their summer homes, all their vacation homes, all their, you know, verbos and all those kind of things. What's going to happen to them? Destroyed, taken away. All their wealth, gone. And the great houses will come to an end, declares Yahweh. Chapter 4, verse 1. I, I, I've taught the minor prophets multiple times, never just in mixed company. It's always been with men, okay? I, I, I've taught it on Wednesday mornings twice. I've taught it on, on Monday nights as well, uh, once, and now, and it's always with men, okay? And this is the first time I've taught it in a mixed crowd, okay? 
So you have to forgive me, okay? Because in the very next verse, it's just dripping with sarcasm. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to their husbands, bring it now that we may drink. Who is Amos calling cows? It's scary. And by the way, they're sitting on their couches telling their husbands what to do, holding the remotes or whatever. I don't know. Do you see? And by the way, is a cow skinny? In the original, it's a heifer, by the way. It's a heifer, okay? Female, you know, cow. Do you, do you see the picture, okay? The men normally are rolling around laughing, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I know, but, but what is it saying here about the women in Israel? These are rich women, by the way, laying on their, you know, I, no one here in this room, there's not a single person, none of you guys listening uh, tonight, you know, it's, it's addressing the people of Israel, the women of Israel, the wives of Israel. Who are they bossing around? Who wears the pants in the family? Yeah, it, it never happens, right? Yeah. Only you rich, okay? <laughs> All the rest of us have to go home tonight, okay? <laughs> Verse 2. Look at what's going to happen. Look at what's going to happen, okay? You, you see the picture of these fat women laying on their couches, okay? These, these cows of Bashan. And by the way, the cows of the Bashan were like, you know, the, the, the I, I don't know, uh, uh, what I forgot the word that I was trying to find. Uh, you know, those, those cows in Japan that are worth lots of money, you know, uh, I forget what the, the marbling and all that kind of stuff, you know, rag, wagyu, thank you, wagyu beef, okay, and, and they're literally pampered their whole entire lives until they die, you know, until they become, you know, a big, huge, expensive piece uh, of meat on your plate that, you know, one ounce is worth like hundreds of bucks or something like that, you know, uh, th this, this is the picture here, okay. Look at what's going to happen to these cows of Bashan, these rich women, these rich men. And by the way, you know, God is, is not a, uh, a, a respecter of persons or gender. Uh, he's always an equal opportunity judger to those that sin. Uh, verse 2, what's going to happen to them? Lord Yahweh has sworn by his holiness. He's swearing by who he is. In his very holiness, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That term that defines all the attributes of God, not only his omniscience, his omnipotence, his omnipresence, all defined in his wholeness or his holiness. Okay, that's why holy is the only term for the uh, an attribute of God that's repeated three times in the Bible. It's the perfection of who God is. Holy, holy, holy. He is the holiest. To the superlative, okay? He swears by who he is, what's going to happen to the Israelite. And by the way, this is going to happen within less than 60 years when the Assyrians are going to come in and do this very thing, documented, by the way. Behold, the days are coming upon you. They will take you away with meat hook. And the last of you with fish hook. What do you do to a cow that's been slaughtered? 
No, you have to hang it up first. You have to drain it. You've seen it. The butcher shops, right? What do they use to hang those halves of beef? Meat hook. What are the Assyrians going to do to those rich people that are laying on their couches, bossing each other around? And I'll lead them away with meat hook. The cows of Bashan. And then they're going to run out of those meat hooks, by the way, and they're going to have to use fish hooks. By, by the way, the picture that we're going to see is they, they put it into their cheeks. They, they string them along. I mean, this isn't just individual meat hooks. These, these meat hooks have chains on them. The, literally thousands upon thousands of Israelites are going to be taken away by the Assyrians chained up with meat hooks in their mouth. They're going to run out of meat hooks and fish hooks are going to have to be used instead. We'll end here in verse 3. I don't normally like to end in the middle of a, a chapter, but I, I want to make sure we cover this very carefully. Verse 3. And by the way, all this is documented not only in First uh, and Second Chronicles, First uh, and Second Kings as well, Second Kings, Second Chronicles, but also in, in Josephus as well. Historians have documented this as well. You will go out through breaches in the wall, each one straight before her. And you will be cast to Harmon, declares Yahweh. The Assyrians were cruel. That not only would they take a people, but they would destroy them as a people. They, they didn't just kill, but they scattered. So that the nations would no longer be identified as a single nation. They would be scattered amongst themselves. And when they come back, they come back as mongrels, half-breeds, no longer fully Jewish, no longer fully Israelite. This is why in the New Testament, by the way, what's the capital of Israel? No, capital of Israel, northern kingdom. Samaria, the good Samaritan, the woman at the well, the people that everybody in Judah rejected except for who? Who would specifically stop in Samaria, by the way. Who would specifically use these people that are now going to come back as half-breed, no longer fully Jewish, that the rest of the Israelite nation would reject. Saying, I still love them too. Thank God, the God, God of forgiveness. Thank God that he is a God who reaches out to the unlovely. The ones that have rejected him, he still draws to himself. Thank God. By the way, we'll, we'll read the, the rest or at least to pick up here in verse 4. It's easy to remember 4-4, four, four, okay? Remind me next week, 4-4, four, four, okay? That's it? 4-4, four, four, okay? 4-4. Four, four. There we go. Uh, Amos 4.4. 4. We'll pick it up here uh, next week. Read, read the rest of the book. There's only nine chapters. Uh, you can probably read it very, very easily. But, but pay attention to the, the, the sarcasm. Pay attention to the, the, the pictures because it, it really brings it out. And hopefully, you know, um, even speaks to your own heart. 
because you know we have mirrors at home and and god's word is a mirror and and sometimes i see myself in these verses too yeah oh yeah definitely beyond a shadow of a doubt yeah so thank you for coming god bless you dear father i ask that you would help us as we depart tonight i thank you for these my friends and my family i ask that you bless them lord i i thank you so much for those that stayed uh tonight that just their desire to know the word better, those that watched online or, or may watch in the future, Lord, I ask you bless them, Lord. And as we read this this very difficult book, and, and yes, there's, you know, times we joke because it, it's someone else, but when it, we actually see ourselves in the, in the book of Amos, and yes, you know, even I see myself in the book of Amos, Lord, uh, help us to repent as well. Because we too are just like the Israelites. The writing is on the wall. The warnings are there. We reject your word. We reject your law. We reject you even. Lord, please, please forgive us. Lord, we, we do. We do ask for revival. We ask for your Holy Spirit to move freely. It, it would start here, of course, always with your church. And then it would spread out. Thank God for the the many churches, not only in Bakersfield, that love you with all their heart, that truly preach the word of God, but also in California and in and, and the United States and even all over the world, Lord, the ones that stand strong, the words that the, the, the people that do prophesy, the people that do speak your word with boldness as Amos does. Help us never shy away from teaching your word or prophesying your word. Lord, I thank you so much for who you are and help us to be reminded tonight that you're roaring. You're roaring. You're the lion of the tribe of Judah, the one that roars with power and authority. Lord, thank you so much for who you are. Help us to be in awe of who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God